Thank you, Doug, and thank you, Simon and Jennifer, for being here, for sharing the message and the opportunity. And I, I think it's remarkable for us to just pause and reflect for a moment on a couple of things. One, how we truly are world Christians. We are connected to the world through our own local community. Uh, people right here in our neighborhood who come from another country but who have family members and friends uh, in their home country, and we are closely connected in that way. World Christians, we do see the world as a village, God's village, and uh, that all people, no matter how far away, they are our neighbors. The great commandment, love God with all of your heart, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so we do have great love for these people, and though we be different in many ways, the love of God transcends all human differences. also think it's remarkable for us to think in terms of our uh, spirit-filled, spirit-led lifestyle as people of God, that um, we have a spirit-filled attorney uh, functioning in really a prophetic dimension and an ambassador dimension, an apostolic dimension. And I think that's a wonderful lesson for all of us, regardless what your major may be. Uh, we talk about the Spirit of God poured out upon all flesh, and it's not just poured out on certain people groups or certain major groups. It's poured out on the people of God. And so I think it's, it's a wonderful example how God uses uh, people. So I've known Simon and Jennifer for many, many years. I don't know how many years, but uh, when Simon called me the other day, I said, yes, we'll do it. We'll put this together really fast. We will jump in. We will strike while the iron is hot, and we will be part of this. So we will be praying for you. And I think you're planning on leaving next Friday. Has that come together for Friday? So kind of building the bridge while you walk on it, but you're going to put this together. And we will be praying for you and for our friends, and we thank you for joining with us today and coming to be a part. And we join together with a common concern, suffering around the world. And um, may God really help us and help the world community to respond to a crisis. And uh, we will do that. So thank you very, very much. And every Friday we do take offerings uh, to participate in um, our role as being God's salt and light in the world, and uh, to have world awareness and world connection. And so this unique opportunity just uh, popped up, and I'm so glad it's worked out so very, very well. So it's very good. All of our preview day guests, uh, where are you? Raise your hand so I can see where you are, often sitting over here. My word, quite a, <clears throat> quite a number. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Well, if you have your Bibles, absolutely. And I thought the athletes did a great job yesterday, and the young women that uh, preached their heart about the Word of God and reading the Word. So today, if you have your Bible, and you do, find with me Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, and we will put up a slide that has our text and then at the end of the message, I have one other slide that will be uh, really our call to prayer, as we do customarily on Fridays, go to a time of prayer. But this is an 
an amazing verse. I want you to look at it as I read the words to you. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Look at it again. Look at the individual words. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro across the whole earth. And what is God looking for? He's looking for a people that he can strongly support. That is an amazing declaration. Who are those people? Those whose hearts belong entirely to God. Often we get the picture in our minds of the relationship that we have with God is that God is off in heaven and we are scanning the heavens with our eyes looking for a God who's hard to find, a God who is hard to talk to, a God, God whose attention is hard to get. And um, we wave and we holler and we pray and we fast and perhaps if we are really diligent in this effort, we'll get that God to wake up and pay attention. This um, passage says actually it's the other way around, that God is looking, God is searching, He is looking for a people and His goal is this, I want to find a people where I can demonstrate my strength on their behalf. Now that is an amazing declaration. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for a people on whose behalf God can demonstrate his strength. This passage occurs in a three-chapter section of Second Chronicles. And I'm going to preach all three chapters, but uh, in doing so, obviously, I'm not going to dilly-dally on individual verses or words. But let me first give you the background to this text, and it's a very, very important background. If you were to flip backwards in your Bible just a few pages, you would go back to Second Chronicles 6 and 7, and chapter 7 is the dedication of the temple built by Solomon, the dedicatory prayer. Can God dwell among man? Can God dwell with us here on the earth? Uh, heaven's the highest. Heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built for thee? And the prayer of dedication is followed by the glory of God in chapter 7 being poured out upon the people. The priest could not stand a minister. You hear of being slain in the Spirit, overcome by the presence of God, and it is one of those remarkable revival times. The people are revived. The activity is, uh, is, is passionate. It is powerful. It is fervent. And the glory of God physically descends on a place. The priest cannot even stand a minister because of that glory. So this is a great event. But what's important about this is not only that God can do, do this, that God does do this, and that the history of faith is punctuated by many times where God and people interact in a way like this. But that the next few chapters that follow, right on the heels of this great event, are a couple of chapters that are very, very sad. Solomon, a great builder, a great king, 
But right on the heels of this victory, the kingdom is divided. Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Israel and Judah now divided at war with one another. Apostasy, idol worship. And when we get to chapter 14, which is where we start today, you have the third, only the third king of Judah who now comes to the throne as a very young man, a young man named Esau. He is young, and he inherits a package of problems he did not create. He was not a part of it. His father and his father's father were wicked kings and had led the people. Right on the heels of a great revival, those who had been there, had seen it, tasted it, touched it, felt it, immediately fell away from God and fell into idol worship. And the third king of Judah, Esau, now comes to the throne. So the story starts in Second Chronicles chapter 14. Esau, the third king of Judah, he is very young, follows two wicked kings, but he has a heart for God, and he seeks God, and he commands the people to seek God. And there in the 14th chapter, they do have a time of seeking the Lord. The Ethiopians come up against them in battle. And because they sought the Lord, not because they were strong, not because he was an experienced leader, not because they had military power and might, but because they sought the Lord with all of their heart, God intervened on their behalf and they won the battle. You go into chapter 15, and Azariah, a prophet, gives Esau and the people a prophetic warning. And it really boils down to this. You've had a victory. God has intervened. God has taken care of you. But you need to be very, very careful. In your distress, you call upon God. The prophet doesn't say it the way that I reword it, but the rest of that could be. But in your success, you turn away from God. And you need to be warned that you should seek the Lord while he may be found. You need to seek the Lord. And then four times in these two chapters, chapters 15 and 16, you have a phrase that is repeated, and we won't look at each one of those repetitions. But something very, very interesting where the prophets say, if you will seek the Lord, he will let you find him. If you will seek the Lord, he will let you find him. Now, that's remarkable. So what is this, a hide-and-seek God? I mean, is he playing some kind of a cosmic spiritual game of hide-and-seek? If you will seek him, he will let you find him. But here is the, the truth of that statement. There's a two-part relationship to our relationship with God. There is what God does, and there is what we do. When we get to chapter 16, Hanani the prophet will tell us, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro looking for a people. God is looking for a people. That's God's part. But our part is to seek the God who is looking. That's our part. And if we will do our part, he will let us find him. He's not playing hide and seek, but he is looking for a certain kind of people. Not just any people. He's looking for a people, what does our text say? Whose hearts are completely his. 
And these are people who we use different phrases. In fact, yesterday in chapel, the phrase running after God or chasing after God. It's an image of an ardent search for God and doing something to find God. Seek the kingdom of God with all of your heart. Put it first. Everything else will be added if you will seek first the kingdom of God. And if you were to take a concordance and look up the word seek, and take a little bit of time if you'd like to, take quite a while, throughout the Bible the command is that we are to seek God. Not just to sit around placidly, uh, uh, apathetically, waiting for this God to show up, although we know at the same time that he's made us a promise. He's looking for us. We're looking for him. So here's how it works. God is looking for people that he can demonstrate his strength through, but he's also waiting for those people to seek him and to open their hearts to him. And if we will do our part, God will do his part, and you will have great victories in your life. That's really the major theme of these three chapters. There will be times in your life when you will be just like Esau, young, inexperienced, problems you did not create, with no answers, no strength, no background, no military, no money, and you'll be just like Esau. We are weak and powerless. I don't know what to do. We don't have anywhere to turn, and so we will turn to God and seek God with all of our heart. I call this being young, dumb, and weak, which is a dangerous thing to say in a crowd of young people, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so I could say maybe young and inexperienced, or young and having not yet developed uh, spiritual resources or something, but young, inexperienced, and powerless, facing impossible situations that you cannot possibly resolve on your own. Esau faced that. He and the people sought God in the middle of chapter 15, having heard the warning of Azariah. They call a prayer meeting, and it's a really very interesting call to prayer. Esau says, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Everybody is supposed to show up, and everybody who does not show up for the prayer meeting will be put to death. Okay, so you think we have tough rules around here? <clears throat> All right. <laughs> there are times when we have disobedient students who are dismissed. We have never put anyone to death in the history of the school. So you're getting off really easy, just remember that. But this is in the Word of God. It is so serious that they seek the Lord that they say, you know, we don't have any time or place for people who don't show up for the time of seeking the Lord, and if you don't show up, we're going to kill you. Because seeking God is serious business. I didn't make this up. I didn't write this chapter. I'm just startled when I read it, that seeking God is so serious. Now, we don't kill people who don't come to the prayer meetings, but you need to understand how fundamental to spiritual reality and spiritual health the constant seeking of God really is. Chapter 16 tells a very interesting sequel in the history of Esau's leadership. 
Beginning there in the first verse, Baasha, king of Israel, comes up against Judah. They begin a war. Now Esau has been the king for 36 years. This is no longer the young, inexperienced king. This is the old, experienced king. And now it's no longer a young king with no resources. Because the Bible says here that Esau went to the treasury and he had gold and silver that he could draw on at his own discretion. He had a bank account. He had money in the bank. He had assets. And he also had friends that had been developed over a number of years. One of them, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, pagan king, lived in Damascus. Now I want you to see what is happening in these three verses here. Esau is now an old king. He's no longer intimidated by the throne room or by the throne or by the visitors who come to visit. No longer nervous about the pomp and circumstance and where he stands and what he says and what he does in all of the ceremonies. Been there, done that so many times. He's comfortable with being a king. He's comfortable with power. He now has financial resources, and he has a friend with a powerful army. He calls for the money out of the treasury. He calls for Ben-Hadad to send an army. And he wins a victory without seeking God. He wins a victory without seeking God. There will be times in your life when you will be young, inexperienced, with no resources, no answers, and you won't be able to do anything without God. But it's also very likely in your life that you will have other circumstances where you really don't need God to win the victory over the difficulty or the obstacle that you are facing. This is one of the most interesting poignant passages in the Bible. This 36-year reign now culminates. Financial resources, political friends, he does not need God. So you've got these two things that you will face in your life. Times when you need God and you can't do it on your own, and times when you don't need God and you can do it on your own. It is spelled out right here. And you might be surprised to hear a preacher say, you know, there are times when you just won't need God. All you will need is money and friends, and you can win the battle. I prefer, frankly, to be in those kinds of circumstances than in the first set of circumstances. I know it doesn't seem to be terribly spiritual, but it feels absolutely horrible and frightening to be in a situation where you are weak and powerless, don't know what to do, and if God doesn't come through, you're an absolute dead duck. That's a horrible thing to feel. And by contrast, it's a wonderful thing to face an obstacle and have the money to pay for it and friends to send armies to win the battle and to win the victory without a prayer meeting. I want you to hold those two thoughts in your mind. It is this history that brings us then to chapter 7 in, verse 7, excuse me, in chapter 16. 
you have another prophet, Hanani the seer, came to Esau, and I'll paraphrase what he said. Esau, what in the world are you doing? Don't you remember when the Ethiopians attacked you? And you were weak and powerless, and you were young, and you didn't know what to do, but you called on God. And God gave you the victory. But now, after 36 years, you've got money and friends, and you think you can get along without God. And yes, you won that battle. But Esau, you've lost the war. You've lost the heart of what it means to be a godly person. And what's amazing, his declaration, rather than bringing Esau to repentance, makes him mad, so he throws Hanani in prison. And then he becomes sick in his feet, it says, and in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, rather, he sought the physicians, and he died. These three chapters are very, very interesting and insightful chapters. Earlier this week, uh, I went to South Dakota for the district council, and uh, Trent Redman, our director of advancement, we met up in a certain city to meet a certain donor, okay? And we went to the offices of this very long-term friend of North Central who, over the last number of years, has given us, recorded $129,000, a very successful businessman, a very wonderful, godly businessman. And as part of my duties as the president of the university, part of Trent's duties as director of advancement, we call on our friends who have money to help us with the ministry of North Central. Okay? So we went to the offices and looked around the offices and said hello and all of the ordinary courtesies. And he said, do you have time for lunch? Yeah. So he said, look, you're going to be going on down this road. Uh, so why don't you jump in my car? We'll go get lunch. So we went and got in a car. I will not name the brand of the car, but it's more expensive than a Mercedes, than a BMW. It's up there in the higher levels. I, I, when I saw the emblem on the hood and I read the words, my jaw dropped. Because, look, I'm an old car guy. I built my first hot rod when I was 15 years of age. And uh, <clears throat> I love hot rods and motorcycles. And here's this magnificent machine. And I wanted to say, wow, this is great. Can I drive? <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. And we got in. And I said, hey, this is a, this is a great car. He said, you know, I, I love this car. I said, is it fast? He said, oh, yeah, it's really, really fast. So we're sitting in this car. We go to a nice restaurant. We have a meal. And there we are. And uh, we had a two-part purpose in our visit. First of all, to just reconnect again with a friend of the school, to say thank you for previous giving that has blessed this school. But also then, we are trying to raise a record amount of scholarship money for the students this year. Uh, previous years, this particular line item in our budget has been $200,000 to $400,000. This year, we put in an $814,000 number, which is more than twice what we've ever done before. Then we set a goal beyond that to raise $1 million 
for this fund. So part of the purpose was to ask for a donation. We're sitting there and we're talking. And I am nervous. And then this wonderful businessman began a little oration to both me and Trent. He said, I'm so glad you've come. He said, God has blessed us in our businesses over the years, and this is how God uses us. We're, we have capacity to give, we want to give, we do give, but we can't give unless we know. And so you have to tell us what your need is, give us an opportunity to give. And don't be shy, don't be hesitant, and I'm listening to this and I'm saying, this is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, okay, now I know this guy well enough. I said, as a matter of fact, and I pulled out a piece of paper that I'd prepared, and it had a chart on it showing that our goal is a million dollars, and we're at about, right now, at about 910,000, and actually it's higher than that now. And I said, we want to raise a million dollars, we need about another 90,000, and since you said you want to help, would you help us? He said, yes, we will. I'll take this under consideration and let you know what we can do. And I said, this is just great. Thank you. Then I said to him, I said, you know, you might detect that this is always awkward for me to ask for money. I haven't seen you in a number of months, so I drive out here to talk to you. And I always just feel awkward when it gets to the moment of asking for money. He said, yeah, I know, I can tell. Don't be nervous. <laughs> you know, it just, he's just a wonderful, wonderful friend. So we would call that a victory. But over the last few days, I've been reflecting on that and thinking back over my own life. We were going to the South Dakota District Council. We had a wonderful time, all South Dakota students. And we honored Ron Traub, and it was just a great time. The first district council I ever went to was in Colorado. We were pastoring out on the eastern part of the state, a church of 40 people in a town of 20 people, and uh, we drove to Grand Junction to go to a district council. We didn't have anything. We didn't have any money. We got there. We couldn't stay in the convention hotel because it was too expensive. Uh, in those years, it was $28 a night. I remember now $28 a night. But we stayed in the outskirts in a motel that was $6 a night. Six bucks a night. It was actually clean, very, very small. Diane said to me, Gordon, we got to go to the store. <clears throat> you just don't look very sharp. We need to go to the store and buy you a necktie. We went to Penny's in Grand Junction, Colorado, to buy a necktie so I could put it with the coat and slacks I was wearing, so I could somehow just try to look decent at a district council. So I'm in South Dakota at a district council, thinking back many, many, many years, when as a young pastor, we had nothing, six bucks a night, driving a Volkswagen, not an expensive car, and how I felt like Esau. I am weak, I'm young, I'm inexperienced, I don't have anything. Could God ever use me pastoring a church of 40 people out in the ranch country, northeastern Colorado? I'm reflecting on all of that as I think of going through to meet a donor who has lots of money. And I'm talking to people that 
Were it not for ministry, I would never know these kinds of people in my life. And uh, this individual will write us a check. He'll send it in. And I just was contrasting two district councils, Grand Junction, Colorado, and a necktie at Penny's, and another district council, and a donor in between. This whole thing of being in ministry now, I'm in my 35th year at North Central, so not 36. But some similar things have happened to me. We've seen some wonderful things develop in this school. When I first became president at the board, and Papa G, Gary Grogan's on our board, uh, he's sitting out here, and you know the history of how these things developed. They made me president, but they didn't tell me the whole story. <clears throat> and a big part of that story was, Gordon, you're, you're going to need to raise money for the school. I kind of knew that, but it wasn't really something that I had absorbed or understood until I actually got into office. I remember the first fundraising effort I made. I will never, ever forget it. Some of you have heard this story, but it is so much a part of my story. Roger Lane was our director of advancement at that time, and he gave me a list of names, and he gave me a script, telephone numbers, and I was to call people and say, hi, I'm Gordon Anderson, president of North Central University. We're coming to the end of the year, and we have a shortfall, and so I'd like to ask you if you would give us $5,000. That was the script. I made... I sat there in a hotel room, I don't remember where, but the wall was yellow. I remember that. No, and it had a little desk that was screwed to that wall and kind of bent down on one side. And I took my list, and I looked at the phone, and I looked at the numbers, and I got so traumatized by making phone calls to rich people to act, ask for money that, and this is down to earth, and real, but how many of you know that your emotions and your plumbing are kind of connected? <laughs> do, do any of you know this? Okay. But this is real. I became so emotionally traumatized. Here I am, president of a university, man of faith and power, prophetic preacher of the word, visionary leader of university, developing a case of diarrhea so traumatized by making phone calls to people who had money. I grew up in a family that didn't have any money, not comfortable or familiar with money. And in the many times I've said to myself, they got the wrong guy for this job. They, they should have got somebody who's comfortable with this part of this job. I can preach, but I can't do this part. Anyway, I worked up my, I made my first call. Hello, I'm Gordon Anderson, president of North Central University. We're having a shortfall this year. Could you help us? Could you give us $5,000? No, we can't. We don't have any money, and uh, we can't. I said, I know you can't. I know you wouldn't. I don't even know why I called you. I promise I'll never call you again as long as I live. <laughs> Goodbye. And I hung up. I mean, it was just about like that. And that's number one out of 20. <laughs> so I'm trying to do my part. I make the next call. Hi, I'm Gordon Anderson, President of North Central University. We have a shortfall this year. I'd like to ask you to consider a gift of $5,000. Could you do that? No, we can't do that. We don't have any money. We're not going to give you any money. I said, I knew you wouldn't. I don't even know why I called. I promise I'll never call you again as long as I live. I mean, that was kind of the sentiment of the thing. And now I'm down to number two out of 20. 
Esau. Young Esau. Through the years, God has given grace to do the various responsibilities of this office. We have seen the assets of this school grow from $7.9 million to $42 million. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of giving. That's a lot of property. And I look back, I remember the first major gift that I brought home, a gift of $100,000 from a farmer who didn't even want me to come to his farm, but I persisted. I went and saw him, tried to give him a T-shirt. He didn't want a T-shirt. Dumb me. I tried to give him a mug. He didn't want a mug. Hey, I'm just trying to do what you do. The last thing he said to me is, you didn't need to come see me. You don't need to come back. I'll send you $50 for your gas money, and I've got to leave. And he left me standing next to my car in his driveway, and he drove away. And I'm standing, I looked at Diana, I shook my head. And I'm a week later, we got a check from that man for $100,000. Well, I called everybody in the offices together. I said, look at this. It's a victory, $100,000. And they all said, how'd that happen? And I said, well, well, I went and saw my friend. Told him the vision of North Central University. His heart was moved. Well, all my friends know that that's not the way it happens. It's more like, Gordon, don't get nervous about asking. We want to give. Just tell us what your need is. And we've seen many, many wonderful things happen. Why am I telling you this? Here I am now, an old Esau. And since earlier this week, I've really been looking forward to the prayer meeting of noon today. Where in spite of great victories, I will be able to bow and pray along with you and seek the Lord with all of my heart. There may be times you will have the ability and the resources to win the victory. But you never, ever, 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 ever want to come to the point where you think you don't need God. I've got this wired. I've learned how to do it. I can do it. My own self-worth wrapped up in, I can do it. No. But all wrapped up in this. There's a God in heaven whose eyes are roving over the whole earth looking for all of the young Esau's who are inexperienced and weak with no money. How many of you qualify so far? Dumb. (laughs) You don't know what you're going to face. Inexperienced, weak, feeling helpless. Do you qualify? You qualify to be used by God because God is looking for you. God is looking for you. Now, He wants you to do your part. He wants you to be looking for Him. 
And for all of us old Esau's, Gary Grogan, an old Esau, capable pastor. But if any two people in the room know this passage, you and I know it. Oh yes, we've learned some things. We know how to preach and we've worked with wonderful people. But I need this altar today as much as any young Esau in the building. And so do you, Gary. And those of us that are older. Because ultimately, without him, we can do nothing. Today I want to pray and I'm looking forward to praying again. Dear Lord, just help me continually be a simple young Esau. I'm grateful for all the good things, but down deep in my heart, I'm just a little boy with a big job that I can't do. And I'm so thankful, Lord, you're looking for someone to help. And if you want to help somebody, here I am. Let's stand together. And you are young people. Now I've preached a message, the first part of which might really connect with you, young, inexperienced, and uh, have not seen some of the victories that I've seen in my life. You connect with that part. But the day will come when, like Simon and Jennifer, you may be going off to a foreign country to meet a president. And we'll be praying for you. Because although you have capacity, Simon... God must go with you. God must. And we will be praying. And I know you will be praying as well. And then all of us oldsters, we still pray. <laughs> I'm keeping you a bit, which I usually do. I had a lunch with a former student body president, Bill Svoboda. Bill, he's now 434. Started a business in his dorm room, wasn't supposed to. Used the U.S. Postal Service, which he wasn't supposed to, but he didn't know. Nobody knew. And one success led to another. He told me how, through his life, the choices and how God keeps correcting him to keep him on track. He's now seeing tremendous financial success. He's not 21. He's now 34. I'm not 34. I'm 70. But he and I shared a moment. Dear God, keep us on track. And there's an old, old song that some of you will know, most of you will not. But we're going to put it up. It's an old song. Keep me true, Lord Jesus. Keep me true. Keep me true, Lord Jesus. Keep me true. There's a race that I must run. There are victories to be won. Every hour, give me power to be true. How many of you know the song? See, nobody. But that's what you get when you get an Yes, Judy, I knew you would know it. And if I called you up here, you could play it and we could sing it. But we're not going to. We're going to pray it. And I'm going to pray it ardently. Jesus, keep me true. And you pray it. Keep me true. And, oh God, as you are faithful to me through the years of life, and we see victory after victory, never let me become self-confident, but always God-confident. Because there's a God in heaven whose eyes are roaming over your life looking for an opportunity to be strong on your behalf. So you seek him, and he will let you find him. Let's find a place to pray. Thank you for being patient with me. There are uh, communion over here on this side.
We have the laying on of hands and oil on this side and an hour to seek the Lord and he will let us find him. Amen. Come, find a place to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your power, your mercy. Thank you for looking for us, for your great desire to help us, and for your promise that if we seek you, you will let us find you. And the Lord, even when we're facing situations where you've given us ability, we seek you because it is never by might nor by power. It is always by the Spirit. Never by might, never by power, always by the Spirit. Spirit.